Welcome to the Mission Cleveland weekly podcast, encouragement and hope in a despairing world. You know what I'm thinking about when we sit down, we truly sit down at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. We take in his teaching so oftentimes I feel like we're standing at a crossroads, and on the one side, we, the one pathway is like we kind of get just caught up in all the problems of hope. We can cycle around with our hurts and our trauma and all the challenges that we face, and, and we kind of lose something when we step on that road. It's, it's not that our trauma and our hurt's not important. I'm not encouraging us to ignore it, but sometimes we get obsessed with the problem of hope. And on the other side, when we step on that pathway, it's like we're enamored, we're we're drawn into the possibility of hope. It's not that we're confused by it as much as we're just excited to see what God's going to do. And instead of being confused by this or doubting or or keeping our distance, we are like um, N.T. Wright says, we're surprised by hope. That the further along we go, we see how rich God's mercy is, how powerful God is, how how deep his love is for us. And we know, like every one of us could attest to a story of life throwing us around, doing something we just didn't expect, taking us in a direction that we just didn't see happening. And I think it's so easy for us just to take our hope and just set it up on the shelf. But friends, when we do that, we lose the doorway to our faith. When we put away our hope, when we just store it away, we lose the doorway of faith. Jürgen Moltmann says that faith depends on hope for its life. Faith depends on hope for its life. And if we live our lives in this place being preoccupied with the problem of hope, if our hope stays on the shelf, then our lives are a lot like a really good book that's only skimmed. It's never read. never read. It's only just kind of barely experienced. It's a good book, but nobody read it. In Matthew 15, we see this challenging, very challenging biblical story. It's a picture of two roads. We see the disciples distracted by the problem of hope, and we see this Canaanite woman, this amazing woman, fully invested in the possibility of hope. In the context of Matthew 15, what we've already seen, we didn't read this tonight, but what we've seen is that Jesus has already corrected the Pharisees and the scribes about their traditions and practices. It's one of those passages where he's really bold, to them and he doesn't mince words he calls them hypocrites and then he moves in and he starts teaching the disciples and he says to the disciples it's not what goes in a person but rather what comes out of a person that defiles them that makes them unclean and what Jesus is trying to lead us to by the time we get to the passage that we read tonight we are fully convinced that this is a matter of the heart this is a matter of the heart Jesus is looking into our hearts. He's drawing out 
connection and, and longing to be with us. It's a matter of the heart. Then Jesus does what he so often does after he teaches, after he performs a miracle, after he heals. He withdraws. <laughs> he did that last week. Remember Peyton preached on the sermon where Jesus walks on the water. He had just fed the 5,000, and he had gone to be in a desert place by himself. It's a good reminder for us, just a, a side note, that it's really important for us to take time away to withdraw. Jesus does this. He withdraws. And as Jesus is walking out of Jerusalem, he's going to the district of Tyre and Sidon. It's probably about 100 miles or so north. It would be like coming from Cleveland and going up to Sevierville or so. It's, it's quite a ways away, actually. And Jesus is well outside of Jerusalem, and he's in Gentile territory. That's where he chooses to retreat. And Matthew says that he and his disciples encounter this Canaanite woman. Now, it's interesting that Matthew uses that word because it's actually the only time in the New Testament that that descriptor Canaanite is used. It's the only time in the New Testament that we see that word. And maybe it kind of invokes some images around that word that Canaanites were clearly outsiders. Maybe if we kind of carry some Old Testament imagery in, we kind of see that maybe this person's an enemy of God, or like, we just need to kind of think through that. Like, why does Matthew use this word? And she's also female. Clearly, she has no social status. I mean, you, you get the sense that Jesus and the disciples could have walked past her and done nothing at all, and that would have been okay. And almost when you read the story, it's like, they almost did. It almost seems like they were going to. No questions asked. And as the story unfolds, this is where it gets challenging. This is where we see these kind of hard sayings of Jesus. The woman who is depicted with this tremendous faith, she cries out to Jesus. These are her words. Peyton just read them. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She comes to Jesus. She's not looking for anything else other than his healing hand over her daughter. I mean, don't you just expect Jesus to, like, respond differently? Like, like kneel down, write something in the dirt or something? You know, like, Jesus, what, what, what's Jesus going to do here? You don't see this coming if you study Jesus. Because Jesus, you know what he does? Nothing. He says nothing. He's silent. Oh, it just, it's so hard to read this story and know, what are you thinking? What are you doing, Jesus. I want Jesus to respond differently there. When Jesus does finally speak, it's not even to the woman, it's to the disciples. He's addressing them because they come to him and, he, and they say to him, get her out of here, send her away. Send her away. They're begging him. And I think here we get, get a front row seat of the disciples being caught up in the problem of hope. This underdeveloped hope of the disciples, the problem of hope. 
this woman approaches Jesus, the disciples, rather than operating out of heart, rather than inviting the woman into the power of God in Christ Jesus, rather than opening the door of hope and healing, the disciples look at her and all that they can see is a problem. They just see her as a nuisance. They just beg Jesus to send her away. And you know, the the disciples, some commentators will say, well, the disciples really were asking for Jesus to heal her and send her away. I I don't know. It it seems to me like the disciples are just trying to get her out of there. I have a hard time following that logic. I think they're just trying to get her away. They want her gone. Underdeveloped hope. And I think there are two ways that our hope can be limited when it's underdeveloped. Two ways we struggle with the problem of hope. And the first is fatigue. Fatigue. We just get tired of seeing the problems all the time. We get overwhelmed with the problem. Just just get tanked out, exhausted. I I remember when I I first started, some of you know I do some, some counseling. And when I first started counseling, I was... I was working in this addiction treatment center that was right between Milwaukee and Chicago, about midway. And I remember the first day I showed up to work at the center, and I was so excited. I'd learned all these skills as a counselor. I was going like, to change things. I had a plan, and I knew what to do. And that took about like two days for me to realize I have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> that the world of addiction is so complex and hard. If you've ever had a family member or if you yourself have ever struggled with that, God, have mercy on you. God bless you in that work of recovery. But you realize quite soon on that it's so easy to lose hope. Maybe you felt that if you have gone through that process yourself or or worked with a family member. It's just so easy to lose hope. So easy to get fatigued. And... I'm just really thankful for my church and my, my Christian friends who infused the hope of Jesus and helped me integrate faith more and more in the work that I do as a counselor. Because I don't know if I could do it without that. So easy to lose hope. The second struggle we have with hope comes not just through fatigue, but through our pride, I think. Through our pride. We may not consider ourselves a pessimist, but we're okay saying, well, I'm a realist. <laughs> i got to know how this is going to go. I've seen this before. I can call it. We get really, really good at anticipating what's next. We get so good at anticipating what's next, we get mechanical and structured, and we forget that the Redeemer of the world is right here with us, and He can change whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. We get so mechanical, so calculated. Sometimes that comes from our pride. We can get caught up in the problem of hope, lose sight of hope. But this woman, the Canaanite woman, you never see her lose hope. You never see her let go of hope. She holds on to the hope the whole way through the story. Never do you see her giving up always holding on, always persistent. Even when Jesus says the most unimaginable, shocking thing to her, she holds on to hope. 
When Jesus does break his silence, here's what he says. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus' initial response is to refuse her and to compare her to a dog. And that's confusing. That's hard to hear. It's hard to understand. You just want to say, what, Jesus? Come on. What? I mean, and, and don't think of dogs as the cuddly little creatures we have at our house either, right? We're talking about, I mean, while, while there were some, some instances of, like, domesticated dogs in antiquity, like, that's probably not what Jesus has in mind here. Jesus has in mind the animals that they sent outside of the city that fed on the garbage, and that there's no way in the world that if you saw one of these dogs running wild that you would ever imagine trying to feed the dog. The dog is compared to one's enemy so often. And that's the image that Jesus brings into view. And there's a lot of perspective on why Jesus says this to her. Is, this, is the real focus of this story that Jesus had a really a primary mission to Israel? Is that what's going on here? Or is this you know, a further picture of Jesus as humanist, like she's correcting Jesus here? Or is Jesus testing the disciples? Is Jesus testing her? The answer is, we don't really know. I think you could read a lot of commentary and not really come to a clear answer, like what is going on here? What's happening? But I think what's true, what I notice is I study, because I, I spend a lot of time asking, like, what is going on? Maybe you're like me, like I just found myself like spinning my will so much that I, I almost missed the reality of this story because I was trying to figure out what Jesus was doing. I almost missed like what I think is like the real point of this story. We could very nearly miss the powerful reality of Jesus here. If Jesus is testing the disciples, they failed. It's clear that they failed, but she did not. She did not fail. The disciples were saturated with the problem. The Canaanite woman, she's hungry with the possibility of hope. Hungry with that possibility. And Matthew writes, she cries out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And the Greek tense there, what you would find is that it's, it's almost as if she's just repeating this. That's the, that's the tense there. She's not just saying this one time. She's repeating it over and over again. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. That's probably why the disciples got so bothered by her and wanted to send her away. This week I read a, a short article in, in the online periodical Inc., and it was highlighting an interview with Steve Jobs back in 1994. And it's a really long title, but I'll read the title. Here it is. Nearly 30 years ago, Steve Jobs said, there's one simple habit that separates the doers from the dreamers. One simple habit. What's the one habit? Jobs put it this way. Most people never pick up the phone and call. Most people 
never ask. And that's what separates the people who do things from the people who just dream about them. Most people never ask. Here in our gospel reading, we see someone who has the courage and the persistence to ask. We see the brilliant light of a human being that's been animated by the hope of God. She she has faith in God. She knows what's going to happen if she asks. She asks, and Jesus responds with silence. She asks again. She comes to him. She kneels down before him and says, Lord, help me. Even then, Jesus responds with a no, a very weird no. She asks again. And this time, Jesus says, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Just pause for a second and compare that to Jesus' words to, to Peter as he stepped out of the boat and began to sink. Just compare those comments. Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? That was Jesus' words to Peter. But Jesus' words to this Canaanite woman, great is your faith. This woman is advanced in hope. She is far beyond the disciples. Great is her faith. She's a model for us. And did you catch how connected she is to her daughter? How connected she is to her daughter's needs. How she comes to the Lord and says, have mercy on me. Her daughter was oppressed by a demon. Her her daughter was severely oppressed by a demon. And you know what else? Like her daughter isn't anywhere close to the scene. Like she's not even close to them. She's nowhere in close proximity to Jesus the healer. The Canaanite woman goes out and begs Jesus for healing, but the daughter's has not come along. And it's almost like the woman is saying, Jesus, I know that you have the power to heal my daughter. I didn't even need to bring her with me. That's how much faith I have in you. She's so committed to Jesus as a healer. She puts everything on the line, everything on the line with Jesus. She just brings her utter desperation to Jesus. She's got nothing else to offer Jesus but a plea for mercy. That's all she has. Every thread of hope she has for her daughter to be healed is directed at Jesus. She's not the religious elite. She's not a disciple. She's just one person with a serious problem on her hands. And she has the wisdom and the persistence to ask for mercy. Praise God. I love this story. When our hope is underdeveloped, or or maybe our hope gets broken sometimes, when we get fatigued, when we get calculated in our spiritual lives, the problem of hope, the problem of life saturates our stories, so much so that we lose sight of the only one who can save us, the only one that can heal, Jesus. It really seems to me that the real point of the story isn't really about why Jesus is saying such weird things. 
but instead that even in the face of spiritual confusion, even in the deepest, darkest experiences we could ever imagine, the mercy of God always has the power to break the back of the enemy. Every time, whatever we're going through, So we get to take in this wonderful story of an amazing woman with great faith who, even though she was from the wrong town and had the wrong pedigree, didn't forget to ask for mercy. Her heart was fully alive. I just ask you, you know, how, how many times in your experiences when you cry out to God, you ever just laid down at night and just cried out to the Lord? Like things just aren't going the way that you imagined them to go. The pain is just too much. You ever cry out for mercy in the middle of the night or when you're alone driving in your car? How many of us do that but don't hear anything at all and we just back away? That's, that's, that's our cue. We just back away. Or maybe we cry out and, and we hear something or something happens and it's not what we expected and, and that's when we back away. Can this Canaanite woman be a story for us to follow, a model for us to follow that even in the midst of silence, that even in the midst of, of unwanted responses, we can still ask, we can still open our heart up to Jesus and cry out, for the mercy of God, for God is rich in mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Speak truth to my heart. Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week. God's betrayed.